everyone, and welcome back to the Wellness Podcast. This is episode number 100. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Adam and Caitlin. What's up? Hello. Sure. Oh my gosh, 100 episodes. <laughs> it's somewhere right around our anniversary, too. I feel bad that I don't know what day it actually is, but we just, the podcast is about to turn three. I can't even count to 100. I can find out the thing. Anyways. Just log into Podbean. Happy New Year again. It's been a while. It's been a while. We've been uh while. we've been a little bit busy. We've been a little bit sick. Yeah, it's mostly we've been sick. Yeah, it's just it's that time of year. Although bad. although it wasn't COVID for any of us. Yeah. yeah. It's just like the cold and flu season. I had yeah. allergies but. and stuff down south that right around Christmas. Yeah, I think you're allergic yeah. to Southern California in general. Yeah, yeah, I think you really are. I think no, it's probably the air. It's 100%. I am. Yeah, no, I agree. I think but, that if I live there long enough, it, I kind of get used to it. Yeah. That's not good. But I think it's my body telling me, like, you should go back to Monterey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every time you go down there, dude, you get sick. Yeah. I know. And then literally, like, two days of being back here at my place, it's like, it just goes away. Yeah. Hey, guys, I have I have something to say. What? What? Episode one, whale watching in California, whale nerds, January 29th, 2019. So we still okay. got some time. 10 days. 10 days. We'll just not 10 days. One. We'll just push it even further. <laughs> you can't 100 do episodes on the anniversary. Ooh, no. that sounds kind of nice. Oh, no? Okay. No. We've been making people wait long enough. Let's just get Yeah, that's going. true. It's already the 19th of January. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> That's funny. They know it. Well, um, I just want to start by saying thank you to all of you for listening to 100 episodes of the Whale Nerds podcast, or at least some of them, and uh, for supporting us and following us on social media or rating the podcast or supporting us on Patreon. So we wouldn't be able to do all this without you guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Y'all are just the best. I want to know if someone has actually listened to all 100 episodes and the mini episodes. And the mini episodes, yeah. Uh, I think we're at like 111 or something. Are you excluding me? Because I definitely have. No, you have not. 100% I have. (laughs) Guaranteed. If I'll be honest with you, I've probably listened to like four episodes total. (laughs) I think I've listened to zero. I've edited them. Yeah. But I haven't listened to them all the way through. Yeah, no, I've definitely listened to all of them. It's weird for me. I, like, can't. <laughs> well, I listen yeah. to them because I'm in them, but, like. You be- do? Be- I, that's why I don't want to listen to them. Before mean? I was even in them, I listened to every single one, you know. Yeah, remember, Slater, we did the one, recorded one, and he was staying at your house. And then, uh-huh. like, as soon as we published it, he was, like, listening to it before bed. And we're like, Adam, you literally <laughs> just were there in person. I remember that. Oh, yeah. He was, like, on his way home or something, right? No, he was, like, about to go to sleep on the airbed. Oh, yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny, huh? Oh, jeez. I'm a nerd, dude. What can I say? I mean, so am I, but it's just different. Different strategies, I guess. Different levels, for sure. So, um, 
for updates on what's going on with us, uh, if you are interested in going out on an April trip, especially the Saturday, the 23rd, April 23rd date, there's only seven seats left. So if you are thinking about going, you should book sooner than later, especially for that Saturday date, because it, I imagine it's going to sell out here pretty soon. Um, we still have about 20 seats left for Friday and Sunday, um, but once Saturday sold out, I expect those dates to start to pick up and fill up too. So um, don't want you to miss out on your chance to come see whales and come see a bunch of whale nerds and see whales together with whale nerds. <laughs> Uh, so you can book on our website, thewhalenerds.com slash trips. And uh, yeah, just want to give you a heads up that we're getting close to being sold out on that Saturday trip. Um, we also do still have merch available for sale on our website and our new blog feature is available on our website. I'm working on a new post right now. So um, if you want to follow along there, you can. Heck yeah. So um and then just a couple other like opening announcement things uh we've been talking about whale tales conference which is put on by whale trust maui um it is now going to be march 26th and 27th as a virtual event uh there's going to be live streams also de on-demand presentations they're featuring more than 20 researchers photographers artists from around the world they're going to do some live q a like they did last year um, they do have an interactive educational expo to make up for like the vendor hall that they used to have. And um, they have expanded their Keiki or kids program. And we are actually going to be putting together a video for uh, the Keiki corner for the conference. So if you want to see what we're doing, we're teaching like the basics of marine life photography. And um, they also are going to still do like the photo expedition and like whale watch with experts trips next month in February. Um, so if you are coming to Maui and you still want to do like the normal trips that they do, uh, they do have those available. It's all at, uh, whaletales.org. So whale with no S tales, like T-A-L-E-S, like a story, whaletales.org. And the registration is now open for everything. So trips and the conference, all that jazz, you can sign up now. So we're stoked to see how the conference goes. Is this the future? Are all conferences going to be virtual from here on out? I know. But I'm glad that, th that some of them are trying, you know, like trying to make it work and stay yeah. close to on schedule. Like some, you know, either were canceled or like rescheduled and then rescheduled again. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even. Yeah, I guess I guess I'd rather have a virtual conference than no conference at all, you know? Yeah. So, because you still want to hear like what people's latest research is. And oh, absolutely. Like, you know, kind of, you feel kind of like, um, like rejuvenated after going to a conference, you are like re-energized to like get back out there and, yeah, and teach people about wildlife and you have more passion, at least I do after a conference. I agree. So. <laughs> Did you have more info on that ocean souls thing, Adam, that you wanted to share yes, with people? I do. Um, so ocean souls is available now. Um, again, that's a documentary from a hundred different photographers around the world um, and cinematographers. Um, and it's all about cetaceans. Um, it's about their intelligence, their social behaviors, um, culture. There's a lot of stuff on killer whale culture in there as well. Um, and you'll also see some of my clips in there. Um, and you can find that if you look up their 
the easiest way I found it is to look up their social medias, either Instagram or Facebook, and there will be a link there to a Vimeo. There's a Vimeo link. And I think it's $4.50 if you want to rent it. And then it's $9 if you want to actually buy it so you can watch it whenever. Um, oh, cool. So definitely check it out. Um, again, that's Ocean Souls. And it's a really cool documentary. It's, it's fun in the sense that like, it's not like a BBC documentary. It's more about the animals and the cetacea and the people that have not only researched them, but photographed them and spent time with them versus just like always being like the best high quality stuff, you know? So super cool. Check it out. And yeah. Nice. Um, I also have a personal host update in regards to whale nerds. Oh, I mean, you guys know what it is. (laughs) We do. Um, We're about to big baller everybody. Yeah. (laughs) No. So the, what? Never mind. I was now I realized what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody makes it later. I posted in our Patreon, so if you're a patron person, you heard about this um, yesterday. But I am officially a junior fellow of the Safina Center at Stony Brook University, and that's founded by Carl Safina. You may know him from his books. Uh, one of the most well-known ones is Beyond Words, and uh, they have an endowment fund where they support people that are promoting the case for life on earth so conservation minded folks that are trying to spread a message of taking care of our planet so they asked me to be a junior fellow so they're supporting my work with whale nerds and another project i'm working on and so they're supporting the podcast for the next year which is exciting essentially caitlin's a badass (laughs) long story short long story short (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Very honored. So it's nice to have some support for the podcast and for what we do, because I think our work's important, but, you know, it's kind of a niche thing. So it's like, you know, we don't make big bucks off it. We just want to make sure we can keep doing it. So having support from people on Patreon is crucial to that, but then having the Safina Center is also going to be a big deal for us. So, yeah. Uh. Slater, did you want to remind everyone that you can see wildlife from shore right now before we talk about sightings? Yeah, it has been really good already along the California coast here. We are seeing a lot of southbound gray whales and kind of clumps. Like we'll see, you know, dozens of them at a time going by and then there'll be a little break, but it's, it's getting pretty thick. Uh, I went down to Big Sur two days ago to Garapata and I saw gray whales from the cliffs there. Nice. Um, so pretty much I'm southbound's tricky. Uh, February should be much better. The northbound migration, the gray whales are a lot closer to the shore. So um, from now until like May, you really should get to the beach and look for gray whales. Mm-hmm. At, least see, at least see their little spouts in the distance. Yeah, that way you know that you saw a whale. You can say you saw them. What were we doing, Slater? We were filming for California Seasons. We went to a oh, yeah. really cool little breakfast spot. Um, it was kind of by Davenport. Oh. and it was at um, whale city cafe yes yeah i like it was so good wait but also when we were filming elephant seals right oh, yeah a, a, what two we walked onto the beach for two minutes and there was a gray whale on the surf like yeah going <laughs> past the surf nice yeah, yeah which is cool because it's like a really cool inlet right there yeah, yeah. Really cool inlet. Um, man that place is so cool it is super cool um but yeah we were sitting at that cafe and we were like it was all about whales they had like a like gray whales inside like a bunch of art of them and we were sitting there like 
drinking coffee and we were like oh there you go there's a breach out there so mm-hmm. we're just look, watching them go by so it's super cool yeah um there still are a lot of whales in in the bay here at least we had they kate saw three humpbacks a mom and a calf and then a single humpback and then like 14 gray whales that trip so there's still Jeez. still whales around uh humpbacks and gray whales and they saw casper um two days mm-hmm. ago i think so no. Did yeah, you see still, still a good time to go whale watching? You saw killer whales not that long ago too, right? Yeah, last week I went out and it was one of those days where I was like, eh, should I go? Like I was going to hang out with Rod and Andrew. So mm-hmm. I, I was like, eh, and then what do you know? I had a feeling and I was on my way down to the boat and Kate called me and she goes, someone just found killer whales on the radio because she was listening from her house. Mm-hmm. And so I got down there and we were rod was kind of he was gonna not go for it because he's like yeah but they could be anywhere now because like the boat that saw them was not gonna stay they were just passing out to go fishing yeah and so we were headed that way when a pod of probably like 200 rizzo's dolphins were stampeding towards us and they (laughs) just blew right past it we turned with them for a minute and they got in the wake some came over and bow road for a second and they were just they were just going like, oh dude i showed awesome. adam the video actually yeah the video is it's, it's a pretty cool. cool i've never i mean i've seen rizzo's go fast before with other situations well with another situation with killer whales and with blue whales but yeah like it was like six up and then six like they were just like you know what i mean it was really nice. cool. like yeah. It, yeah it was really cool and, i've only ever seen him play in the wake i've never seen him bow ride so then we put we turned back to opposite like the way they were coming from and like i don't know i want to say like maybe a mile and a half two miles further we ran into that pot of killer whales and there was, you could smell a kill. Like you could smell mm. the blubber, the oil in the air. And I, I want to say they ate a Rizzo. Um, and then later, come to find out later, some of them were matched to the ones that Adam and I saw actually eat the Rizzo um, in the summer. So I'm going to go with they killed another Rizzo. Because, Interesting. Oh, and not to mention those Rizzos that we passed like three miles out on the outside towards like the or like a little further out towards the edge of the canyon there was another group of rizzos going super fast the opposite way so they must have just like fanned out across yeah. the way yeah yeah so that was pretty cool nice that's my one big event for january i think so those killer whales are rizzo dolphin specialists actually like my last two trips on the water i had killer whales <laughs> of course you did about it <laughs> that's like the december and january can be pretty good especially december more than january but you know they're around throughout the year yeah for sure we missed a we missed a killer whale sighting by like eight miles the other day we like came back in and like one of our fishing buddies called she's like oh we got orcas here we're like like eight miles is a lot of space on the ocean though it is but like like we like some trips you know we're doing 60 mile round trips so it's like yeah that's what it is um I actually haven't been on the ocean in like forever because we had we had bad wind for a while and then we had that a combination of a huge south swell and that tsunami that and our harbor literally was like we couldn't get out and the way that the dredge works in our harbor like they're funded by the americorps um army corps of engineers army corps yeah, yeah. so um they couldn't they have like their own like restrictions and like stuff they have to do when like mm-hmm. they literally could just dredge a channel for us to go out and operate through but they have to do their own route 
so we literally lost like two or three days to the um the sand buildup and the sand spit but um i don't know i think the last trip i was out on we had um those mating gray whales it was three mating gray whales in like absolutely gorgeous water and the funniest thing these two rizzos would just not leave them alone i've never seen that before it was just so funny like i don't know like in in my brain trying to think about it like i don't know why they would be so interested in that but they would they were ducking in between the whales like underneath one over the top of one it was just so funny um and they were really into it so that was super cool dolphins get the whales going they yeah. really do especially like, gray whales dude they're like the master of it yeah gray whales. Yeah. yeah if you have little kids listening to this podcast with you cover their ears for a second but i think the dolphins are like the fluffers for the whales <laughs> <laughs> like really? they That's get so them funny. going like they really do yeah, like watching a group of gray whales and then a bunch of pacific white side dolphins go by and all of a sudden they're like belly to belly and you're like excuse me what just happened it's just so funny (laughs) i i don't know why like i can't tell you how many times in newport beach where it's like we're with gray whales and then we see dolphins ahead and we're like please run into each other Mm -hmm. and then like if they especially offshore bottlenose oh man it's like just like so funny yeah i think yeah and i've because so we've seen um bottlenose dolphin in the mix with humpback whales here the last two seasons pretty consistently especially in comp groups and so I just keep like racking my brain like what are they doing like is this just entertaining for the dolphins yeah or is there like especially with the competition group is there like a bunch of fish gathering nearby because of all the disturbance and the skin in the water and the dolphins are eating but like most of the time, it seems like the dolphins are right there just watching They're the just whales. just watching and playing. <laughs> like I, I literally have probably like 20 minutes of drone footage of like these whales rolling around. And these two, it's just two, two Rizzos. They're just going all around, all around. They'll come up right next to them. They'll look at them. They're literally like in their tail like they just like hang out with the t- it's just like so funny i don't, yeah. I don't understand i don't know it, if but... they're just like bored so they're like hey there's whales here's something to do like yeah so, right yeah it's just so funny it's like people go to the park to watch birds maybe dolphins go follow whales to go <laughs> that's what i'm saying they're doing, do. doing some whale watching i guess <laughs> well like, they move so much faster than the whales do they're so much more yeah. agile so it's like they're probably just like you know just zooming around what it seems like, like yeah, yeah. Uh, um and they don't they don't seem to especially in california they don't seem to really care what type of whale it is i mean gray whales they definitely get them excited but like yeah. i've seen them interact with humpback whales blue whales i don't they know do, but i don't like I, I feel like eventually like when i've seen them like bow ride blue whales and humpbacks it's like yeah they'll do it for a bit and they'll eventually move on mm-hmm. but like these things are just like rolling around with them almost you know it's yeah. super interesting yeah um sightings in maui have been awesome i mean we're getting close to prime time right now um <laughs> yeah so not excited. prime time until we get there oh Kayla. my yeah. gosh you, you are not in charge of the ocean your name is slater not poseidon i'm not even gonna look at any more videos from maui all these blue water clo- everybody's been having friendly encounters all week it seems like yeah yep I'm, yeah Adam, i'm telling you it's like it's kind of like it's not as friendly as the gray whales in baja but it's kind of like that like they do yeah. over the boat like 
you yeah. have i feel like you kind of have a like a 60 40 chance i feel like that's yeah. pretty high because like normally what you have like yeah 10 percent chance one like percent i mean chance when they're feeding mm-hmm. i mean that's know? what we get here in santa barbara so like it shouldn't be any different Oh, shut up. Ugh. You are not ready. You know what? You can't I'm really stop. not. If I'm you really don't have ready. that attitude adjusted you before you get on the plane, don't even come. He's going to want to move to Maui. I'm so psyched. Adam, literally the first time I went there, I, I started looking for apartments and like figuring out how I could move. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, Ma- Monterey has like every kind of. Yeah. Thing. He was like, well, he was talking to me on the phone. He's like, dude, I want to just like be there. And I was like, yeah, but the whales are only there for a few months. Yeah. And he's like, freaking burst my bubble. So, but yeah, we've had some really awesome trips. We had like, uh, before I got sick, we had this group like really close into shore in like 25 feet of water. It's huge female. She's like upside down tail slapping. That's how I could tell as a female because I could see her hemispherical lobe. Biggest female I've ever seen and like confirmed it was a female. And mm. like, she was thick in the tail. I was like, dang, is this whale going to give birth right here? Like what's happening? And then there was two smaller whales, which I think were males, like doing weird stuff, like circling around her. So they were like kind of a competition group, but like kind of not, I don't know. It was really bizarre. Really shallow water right outside the Harbor. It was crazy, but super cool to see. Um, And then lots of baby whales, like brand new teeny tiny little gray ones with the dorsal fins still curled over. I've never seen a baby humpback. Like, oh, dude, they look like a toy. They don't even look real. It's like, have you seen a baby gray whale? Like a very, very baby baby where they like. I don't even think so. I've seen one of those. See, they they lift their heads like. Yeah, they're They're awkward. Well, it's like it's like orcas. Like when they're super small, they like do like an extra like. But then like with humpback whales, yeah. because like they have those big flippers and those big tails too. It's like, <laughs> they're so floppy and silly. It's, it's so disproportional. Awesome. They're like rolling around and like everything's flying everywhere. It's like not <laughs> graceful at all. But yeah, lots of moms and calves. I've actually been um, driving the boat for uh, Selkett Kaufman, who's part of our uh, team here at Pacific Whale Foundation. She's doing a documentary um, she wants to talk about like the five main threats that whales face. And so she's kind of doing it as a story of a mom and calf's journey um, mm-hmm. between their feeding grounds and Hawaii. And so we've been filming a lot of mom calf whales and it's just been me and her in the skiff some days. And it's been so nice to just that's like, super cool. be mellow and hang out with little baby whales. And that's awesome. We had a great day yesterday. We had this calf breach like as they were swimming for like 30 minutes and um and then the day before that on the big boats we got we in maui they call it mugged we have friendly whales and they were like underneath the boat looking at the boat circling the boat a couple different trips and it was a couple different individual whales you sent us one of those videos right yeah that was the first trip of the day and then later in the day we were actually going towards a competition group and then this other pair of whales popped up nearby And they were being really weird. They were like kind of rolling around, kind of swimming upside down. And I said to the captain, I was like, I don't know. These ones are being funky. Like, let's take a look because the comp group was coming our way anyway. Uh And we sat there for like, I don't know, eight or nine minutes waiting for this group to come up. And we were about to leave because like there's no wind. So everybody on deck's just like starting to sweat because it's so hot. And then they popped up right next to us. And then we all of a sudden could hear it singing underneath the boat without the hydrophone like everybody could hear it through the boat oh so cool 
Adam, I'm, you're not even ready, dude. I don't think <laughs> we should bring you, honestly. I'm not ready, dude. <laughs> like, what do I What do I bring? Like, what do I wear? Do I? I don't know. Just wear clothes. I bring don't know sunscreen. about that. Brief safe sunscreen. Try. Dude, you're going to get sunburned so bad. I don't okay. get sunburned, all right? I'm, I'm ethnic. Gonna, I'm dude, way sun. lower way lower uh latitude (laughs) it's different yeah but like just because you're a person of color does not mean you can't get sunburnt or get skin cancer i never get skin cancer but i never get sunburnt watch he's gonna be french fried when he gets red already dude they're getting ready just red Just wait till you step off that plane, dude, and you feel the wave of love. Oh, you know what else we saw a whole bunch of the other day? It was breaching manta rays, like a dozen different. Yeah, what the heck is no, that? Manta rays. That's where you got yeah. me. Yeah. It was weird. You don't have you don't have mobulas there, do you? No. Mantas, uh, spotted eagle rays. Did you rays get a freaking like, picture? Eagle rays. No, how can you get a picture, dude? It like breaches and you're like, what the heck was that? And then maybe like it breaches a, again like and you're like, breach? oh, it's a manta ray. Like kind of, yeah, breach? like a mola breach um so weird so is are they gonna be breaching when we get there or i don't know dude they didn't breach yesterday <sighs> just that one day it was wild adam and, I are, super cool. adam and i are traveling this year yeah we are we don't give a hoot <laughs> <laughs> we got um so i got something cool to tell i guess oh yeah you guys. oh yeah so adam and i are going in february to martin meet caitlin and maui yeah and then in march uh so i just got reached out to by lynn blad i guess is it lynn blad slash nat geo i guess they're like yeah partner lynn blad's part of nat geo lynn blad's the the expedition part of i guess national geographic i would say and they run expeditions all over the world and they invited me to do gray whales in baja and magdalena bay and i'm super excited so i'll be going there in march for four days i don't know exactly I don't know exactly what's going on on the trip. I know for sure gray whales. It says snorkeling, and then also we'll like kayak through the mangroves and all that because it's super beautiful. Ag Bay has really good like like bait balls and stuff and like, water clarity, like the swordfish and like, and like. And literally the same four days. I don't know about that though. Are also the same days that I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm in. But you're I'm gonna in be Gara in Negro. Yeah. Oh, you're in Negro. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Dang, dude. So, yeah, we're both going to be in Mexico at the same time. I'm going to call them, speak some Spanish, and I'm going to hang up. Yeah, right. No, you won't even have service on that side of the... Yeah. In San Ignacio, you don't really get service. Yeah, there's no service in San Ignacio, which is fine. Um, because That's fine. I don't like Unplug with the whales. Yeah. Unless you go find that yellow school bus where you can set your phone up in the dashboard and then get a little (laughs) signal, and then they can tell you you have to go home because it's COVID. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happened last time you went to Mexico. Bring yeah. bad memories. Oh, geez. One more thing. All right. I think that's it for now. All right. So um, the rest of this is not going to be very much about whales. So brace yourself. Wait, 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 wait. I thought we were the whale nerds. <laughs> we are, but the whales live in the ocean. So let's talk about it. So we're um, the ocean nerds podcast. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Sick. I kind of wanted to start this year talking a little bit about like, the other ways that we can measure what the heck is going on in the ocean because whales are not our only indicator species and like our ocean is going through some huge changes and there's a lot of different ways to uh, measure that, but also just looking at how complex like the issues are. So 
Uh, and then I also had a follow-up from episode 98 when we were talking about like unusual finds in California. I forgot to mention that there were two uh, Pacific football fish that had been found on Southern California beaches uh, within like the last eight months. Uh, well, more than that now. So one was found in May in Crystal Cove, which is down in Southern California. And then the other one was in November at Black's Beach in San Diego. And a football fish is a species of anglerfish found in the deep sea. They're like two to 3,000 feet deep normally. And so it's just kind of like one of those weird things that you find on the beach. The people said that it was like really creepy and weird looking. Must have died like at some depth that allowed it to float up or something. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was bycatch and just floated into shore or yeah, I don't know. Weird. Do you think do you think beaked whales and sperm whales would pass by those things and be like, what's up? They'd probably whack. I mean, do you think they maybe just eat them? I don't know. Maybe they do. (laughs) They're not that big. Sperm whale could eat one. Think about it. Uh, uh, A beaked whale could eat one of these things, digest it while it's on its two-hour dive, and then poop it out before we even get to know. You know what I mean? Like, dude, they're for like a whole day. Damn. It's actually three hours and 48 minutes. The thing is, they don't really digest while they're on their dive because they pull the blood flow away from their digestive system to increase their dive capabilities and push more oxygen to their muscles. Get out, nerded. Nerd. What if we don't even, like, they have little spines on them. What if they're venomous? You know what I mean? Maybe. Like, dude, touch it. No. I'll touch it. I'll touch it right now. <laughs> Bring it to me. This guy's this guy's has it in like a tray and he's from scripts and he's touching it. I'm like, dude, you don't even know. How many how many people have touched those? You know what I mean? I mean, maybe he's the guy that touches them. Yeah, he's the, he's the toucher. He's that's just it. <laughs> he's the football fish toucher, toucher. guy. <laughs> <laughs> what are we even talking about right now? Anyway, so I just wanted to tack that on as more unusual finds in California other than what we'd already talked about in episode 98. Um, okay, so let's talk about some some hot water. Yeah? Remember that uh, like- For my tea or what? Remember that warm water blob thing, that weird thing that happened in like 2014, 15, 16? great whale watching. Well, I was it only did. four years old then, so. Yeah, I wasn't really asking Adam, you, Adam. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't just happen in the North Pacific off the mainland coast of the United States and Canada. It had effects all across the ocean. Uh, there was an article in The Guardian in March of 2021, and it was kind of a follow-up because like all the scientific data has now been published. Um, in 2013, before we saw the effects of uh, the warm water closer to shore in the U.S. and Canada, there was a massive seabird die-off in Australia. It was 3 million shearwaters, mostly short-tailed shearwaters, that died when they got back to shore uh, for breeding season. And the short-tailed shearwater actually forages in the Bering Sea during the summer. So they go up across the entire Pacific Ocean. Why do shearwaters just got to go, man? I know. They just just like ate a bunch of sugar and they're just like i gotta go somewhere i don't know where <laughs> like it's just one heck of a commitment right they, do, just, fi- they do the figure eight all of them or just uh, uh the cities do like that figure eight thing but i don't know too much about uh the other species because the cities like they like shoot up and across 
but they're still off the coast of South America. Then they come up further to North America and then they like go back down and it like kind of makes this figure eight pattern. Um, but I don't know too much about the other species, but I mean, from Australia to the Bering Sea, that's one heck of a migration. Holy crap. So what they were documenting with the birds that were coming ashore dying is that they were underweight, they had low muscle mass, and they were coming ashore either washing up dead or they were in the process of dying when they landed on uh, their nesting areas. Uh, they took samples of 172 birds and uh, they looked at their stomach contents and 96.7% of the birds sampled had eaten pumice like floating yeah. that floating rock from a volcano <laughs> why were they eating it so does it taste good they think that the the birds were not able to find food because of the warm water that was starting to form in their feeding ground and so there had been this eruption in uh new zealand in 2012 that had formed these huge pumice rafts and they think the birds were just picking up the hummus, pumice because hummus, because <laughs> they thought hummus it was sounds food. good. Hummus, they thought it was hummus, but it was hummus. Thought it was hummus. <laughs> it was just, hummus. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, is the one bird had an accent. Things got to you know. So. It's from the Mediterranean. Yeah. So yeah, some pita bread. So this is like a really long, drawn out like set of events that came together that led to this, and then they needed to involve geologists to solve this puzzle. That's why they started. They just wrote it up in 2021. This is like you know, nine years in the making. So 2012, a seamount off the coast of New Zealand erupted, a bunch of pumice rafts formed. They were still floating in, in large rafts in 2013. These birds did not forage very well in their normal summer feeding habitat, encountered these rafts during their migration, ate the rocks, and then that left them feeling full, but not actually uh, getting any anything. nutrients kind of like seabirds and plastic same crisis where they feel yeah. full because they can't digest but they're not getting any resources and i guess they so, don't have the greatest taste buds right like they probably didn't know it didn't taste like <laughs> yeah i mean and then the thing is like with the plastic especially uh when like a little bit of algae gets on it it smells like rotting food and so even if they were using like their sense of smell to figure out if it was food or not. They're still getting the wrong signal and still eating it. Mm. So the, the study was published in uh, Marine Ecology Pro Progress Series. So if you want to look at the whole thing, it, it looks like a pretty interesting paper. I kind of skimmed through it all. And so I thought this was like a, just a good example because like science takes a long time, right? And it really does uh, need to be interdisciplinary. So if they would never have consulted those geologists, they would have never figured out where the heck this pumice was coming from. That's super interesting. It's just everything's connected, you know? I mean, yeah. we, know, we know that, but it's in different areas and different populations and interesting. Yeah, and then just thinking about like, you know, like this was a pretty big bottleneck event. You know, you're talking about 3 million, 3 million birds, birds died. Yeah. Um, and this could potentially have a generational effect for these birds, uh, for them as a species, because they are so loyal to very specific nesting areas, um, but also just as a population. Like if you lose 3 million birds off one island, like, and they only nest on three islands, period. The genetic diversity is just yeah. shot. Yeah. Your, your gene pool is really going down. So they're just, especially seabirds are so sensitive to events like this. Yeah. 
and uh so yeah i just thought i was like dang that that warm water blob thing is still it was so complicated it was happening years before we realized you know these effects were just building and compounding and it was pretty crazy so then i found this other article on cnn that's just a little quick one it was a there's actually a southern blob in the pacific ocean as well and it was uh, hot ocean conditions caused mega droughts thousands of miles away in Chile. Um, so I didn't know that there was a southern blob, but there was a hot water anomaly in the southwest Pacific as well. And that, I mean, it, it wreaked havoc in the ocean, but it also changed the way the rainfall circulated in the southern hemisphere. And it created a drought in Chile, which was thousands of miles away from the actual pocket of warm water. Like, dude. Which makes sense, right? Because if yeah. the trade if the trade winds stop and that warm water blob slushes back across the Pacific, well, wouldn't that I mean it's well, or if like the warm water if the warm water's sitting further offshore, then it rains over the ocean instead of over the land, yeah, and then yeah. it never makes it there to the land. land. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Crazy. Okay. We're gonna start having these blobs all over. I feel like I, I don't know. want any, I don't like blobs. <laughs> I hate that it's called a blob. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the best word we could come up with. I mean, we just talked about a freaking football fish. So isn't there a lot of uh, <laughs> that's that science name that that's scientific names being it really related is related to like regular I don't know. Well, it's like why the heck is a sperm whale called a sperm whale? There's a little antelope out there called a dick dick. Like, who came up with that? <laughs> well, a lot Isn't of these, it DIK a, though. Yeah, but it a, is, lot, but still. a lot of things are named after people's like last names and stuff too. Or like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, stellar guy. Like, he's Cuvier, got his name on everything. Cuvier's, Cuvier's, yeah, Baird Baird Sir. Like, they just kind of. <laughs> you know so, this last part of the episode, I wanted to talk about the saga of the kelp forest in. California because that has been like a very noticeable effect of um, the warm water blob and some other things. Um, so the first paper I found was the state of the California current 2019 to 2020. Is it a back to the future of marine heat waves? It was published in Frontiers in Marine Science in August of 2021. And it basically kind of gives a recap of like what the effects were of the warm water blob and looking at it between the years of 2019 to 2020 when things kind of quote unquote went back to normal. Um, and it talks, I mean, if you want to read it, if you're a nerd about this kind of stuff, it was a very good paper. It talks about invertebrates, larvae, fish, birds, mammals, interspecies interactions. Um, but overall, the like what happened was warm water and offshore species continued to mix with cooler water and inshore species, despite the heat wave being over. And um, there were plankton and forage fish components in the food chain that were still mixing cold and warm water too, which is like really weird and not a normal set of interactions. Um, some species of birds did do better in light of the cooling ocean temperatures, but still not like a perfect recovery for many bird species. And they're sort of throwing this normal idea out the window now. They're saying that like, we haven't seen a normal pattern for the California current for the last seven years, despite the warm water blob event being mm. sort of over. Um, 
and even like the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, which is like a normal 10 to 20 year uh, cycle that affects the California current that used to be very predictable is now not unpredictable predictable at all. They're saying it's very disrupted. So yeah. what the heck does this mean for the California current for the future? Um, I don't know. I just started to feel like I was like going through this downward dark vortex spiral thing and was like trying to not freak out that everything was unraveling. Um, but my impression is that like, especially for marine mammals, but any marine animal, if you're a generalist, like if you can eat a lot of different things, you're going to do better in the midst of all this unpredictability and that animals are just going to keep showing up in weird places like common dolphins in Washington. Um, and then there's going to be animals that like you don't see anymore because the environment's not suitable for them. I wonder how, how blue whales uh, are going to do. Blue whales, so I have annoying. a feeling are I, not going to do well. I kind of feel like our kelp forests here and like in California, I guess on the West coast, it's kind of like the equivalent of the coral bleaching in other parts mm -hmm. of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's like, we're going to see that because it, it, it's going to be like, and they, they have kelp projects all over the place, but it's like, yep. I, I, one day we're going to go out to go whale watching and there's going to be like no kelp forest to look at on the left. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so is with, with this warm water, like is, is the, is the counter current still like, is that still a, like strong and warm like is that what's affecting the california current because when the when the warm water sloshes back across the pacific when the trade winds stop like is that counter current just being enforced or what um you know about I that at all i think it does talk about that but i don't remember off the top of my head what they okay. said but there is a section in there about that um so then there's quite a saga of studying the kelp forests that spanned across all of 2021. I found all these different articles. So it was <laughs> an interesting twist and turn of events. So um, we'll start with Smithsonian Magazine in March of 2021 covered an article calling Northern California kelp forests are collapsing. And so kelp forest coverage in Northern California has been become becoming less and less it's been decreasing since oh, yeah, 2013 Sonoma and Mendocino counties have seen bull kelp in particular decline by 95 percent since Eesh. 2013 that's like there's kelp. like no kelp left um, and they're saying that similar events or several events happening at the same time could be causing such a large collapse so it could be because of sea star wasting disease so uh, the urchin's competitor as a marine grazer and also as just a predator. Uh, there's less ochre sea stars and way less, almost no sunflower sea stars. Uh, yeah. They're actually presumed to be functionally extinct south of the Oregon and Washington border. Really? Yeah. And then so between the shift in predators in the kelp forest and then the warm water, they think those two things came together and have destroyed the kelp coverage for Northern California. And they say that they have seen a lot of urchin barrens form and they aren't going anywhere. Like they're continuing to persist. Have you uh, that, that, huh? oh, sorry, have you seen that video of the diver who just takes, like goes around plucking the sea urchins? Yeah. Dang, we're gonna have to, it's gonna be like a full-time job. I know, but then People. it's like, is then like you'll see him like smash one and like the fish eat it and it's like okay but what about all those larvae that you just released because you smashed it 
Oh, <laughs> You're just gonna make more urchins. Yeah, but you think oh. he wants to not have a job, Caitlin? <laughs> well, just don't smash him. <laughs> so it, it is cool to watch the fish go, though. I would probably do. It <laughs> so this researcher named Meredith McPherson from UC Santa Cruz, um, the way she kind of summed up the whole turn of events was. There was a lot of disruptions at one time that led to this collapse, and the system now is persisting in this altered state. Uh, while sea otters do eat urchins, uh, they prefer the larger and better fed ones where there is kelp coverage, not the lean ones that occupy urchin barrens. Hmm. So the skinny or like underweight urchins have the ability to survive in these starvation conditions, but then they're not like tasty for people or otters to eat. Yeah. Um, and so my overall like impressions off that article, I just kept thinking about like, um, kelp forests are such an important shoreline structure, just like you're talking about with coral reefs later and losing them is going to have a big effect, like not just in the ocean. And they're like, the, they're like our mangroves. Like, yeah, exactly. It's a shoreline buffer, but it's also a place to shelter juvenile fish. It's yeah. so, like, what's going to happen there? Like our fish population is going to suffer. Um, it's a place where carbon gets fixed and oxygen yeah. gets produced near shore. Yeah. And so then it's like, what else is going to continue to fall apart if we lose kelp? Uh, what are our whales going to eat? We're starting 2022 off on a depressing note. Okay, well, let's. Let, there's some like weird twists and turns of events here with this oh, kelp okay, story. Okay. Oh. Kayla's going to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but there's more to the story. She's going to save this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so then there's a Washington Post article from July of 2021. So a couple months down the line, talking a lot about the same stuff as the previous article, but they shared some cool facts about um, kelp. They say kelp forests can capture 20 times as much carbon per acre as a forest on land. And a and um, I will actually include a bonus article where they uh, got that quote from in the Facebook comments. So you can look at that. But isn't that cool? 20 times more than a forest on land. It's a kelp forest. Um, and actually. so much better. <laughs> yeah. Kelp the ocean is just everything. How do people not understand? <laughs> God. It's literally life. The freaking biggest then- <laughs> carbon sink that there will ever be. <laughs> So we got to save it, right? Ah, oh, dude, that's what you think I'm here. Get motivated. People will say it's fixed. It doesn't even matter. Oh, my God. Okay, that and then another fact that they quoted was kelp forests around the world are showing signs of collapse, and they actually think that kelp forests worldwide have declined by 33%. <laughs> so I was like, what? So it's not just California where this is a problem, and I will include the link to that article as well. Um, in the midst of the sea star decline, urchin populations have increased 100 times their original numbers before sea star wasting disease. Bruh. Um, so the nature, this talks a lot about nature conservancy and what they're doing to solve this problem in California. And they yeah. do have volunteer divers collecting and smashing the urchins like we just talked about. But my question is, does it release, like, what if they're yeah. fertilized eggs and then the larvae are just, you're just distributing them. La, 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 la. Um, but anyways, and then they're looking at possibly using urchin shells, like the carapace for, um, is that the right word? 
shell carapace it's, skeleton it's it's a what's it, it starts with a t it starts with a t it's a t give me a moment here and i'll uh, do some <laughs> google research. it for me um but anyways they're looking at using it for fertilizer a test a test a test, a test. A test. That's my brain you know, that's what i, I was just, thinking i literally you know, in my last science class i took <laughs> that, you know <laughs> i was literally it was, was literally tip, just... of, tip of the uh tip of the list he didn't tell me <laughs> I just know yes. that because I, I was literally yes. walking the beach with Havala last night and that she was like, this is an urchin test. 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 And that's the test. only reason why I know that. <laughs> yeah. So they're thinking maybe they can use the test for fertilizer, um, kind of like oyster shells or like eggshells or something. Um, then they're also trying to help promote a market for purple urchins in uh, for food and attempting to create like an uni fishery. But mm. um, the hang up there is that a lot of the urchins that occupy the urchin barren are not aren't aren't they're like starving, so they're not really sought yeah. after. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's also a project going on with Sea Star Aquaculture, so they're trying to. Um, grow sea stars in a controlled environment, get them to more of an adult size and then put them out in the environment so they can maybe fare better in the midst of uh, sea star wasting disease because basically that's like, I'm pretty sure it's like a virus that then makes them susceptible to a bacterial infection. And then mm -hmm. that's what actually makes them melt. It's like a very, it's like a multi-step illness thing that causes yeah. that wasting disease. So but they, they commented with the sea star aquaculture that you literally would need hundreds of thousands of sea stars to be able to compete with the urchins at this point with how many urchins there are. Um, but maybe doing like this multi-angle approach will help get, you know, make some progress. What um, about and they just are... a thousand otters? <laughs> I think otters are a little bit harder to, to breed in <laughs> captivity than sea stars. <laughs> There's a lot more ethical questions since they're yeah, vertebrate mammals. Farming, yeah, we're gonna start farming otters. <laughs> yeah, but if we farm them and release them into the environment, then. And then, then there's also talk of of um, kelp aquaculture trying to reseed those barren areas. That's really just... what we should focus on. Yeah. So but you can't you can't really do that if the urchins are still there because it's just gonna be decimated. Yeah, but maybe if you could kind of get the kelp back to a normal more of a normal coverage, then put in sea stars and remove urchins, maybe that would be enough to shift it. Yeah. Um, so that's what Nature Conservancy is kind of working on. So then the last article is talking more about um, that alternative state that uh, McPherson was talking about. And so this is from Bay Nature, which is more of a local uh, San Francisco Bay Area publication. This came out in September of 2021. And there is some good news, even without any intervention from people, the beginning of 2020 showed a little boost in kelp coverage on the California coast. Um, and then by summer of 2021, the kelp coverage actually looked even better, despite the heavy urchin That's coverage. Good. So some interesting facts that they shared is that, you know how I said urchins can persist in starvation conditions for a long time. Well, they actually put a number on it. They said they can live for decades in Whoa. starvation conditions. Um, and then there's other places where this has happened, like off the coast of the Aleutian Islands and off the coast of Tasmania, where urchin barons have persisted for decades, despite the urchins having nothing to eat. Yeah. Um, 
And then they also talked about uh, coastal Hokkaido in Japan, and they have had an urchin baron present there for over a hundred years. Mm. Do they used to have otters? Do they used to have otters over there? Bet you they did. I don't know. Probably, maybe. It seems like the right habitat. Bet you they did. Um, Fur trade. So scientists are now trying to understand the recovery and looking at like this idea of alternative stable states. So it's like, it's a paradigm of alternating ecosystems that are in the same location under identical conditions, just at different times. So like urchin barren versus healthy kelp forest, same location, same environment, just different times to shift this like stable state circumstance. So one ecosystem state dominates the space and persists until some sort of powerful environmental disruption causes, creates a rapid transformation, and then a very different ecosystem takes hold in that same physical space. So another way to explain that is like uh, a grassland in certain parts of the world is an alternative stable state to a forest. Not every grassland and forest are opposite stable states from one each other, but there are some places in the world where you could either have a grassland or you could have a forest and maybe your disruption well, is like a fire. Exactly. Yeah. So I was going to say the two are interchangeable or like yeah. a fire in a grassland can then germinate a forest. Yeah. So the marine heat wave is the environmental disruption that shifted from the urchin, from the kelp forest to the urchin barren. Um, the recovery of the kelp since 2020 is sort of bringing that idea into question, though, because maybe mm -hmm. the urchin barren state isn't as stable and persistent as we're thinking. I um, mean, it, it's exactly like that same example, forests uh, and grasslands, the two go back and forth with fires, you know. Mm -hmm. And it could be more a factor of the water temperature than it is about the urchins at all. Um, so kelp has been recovering in areas even when they're uh, was no culling of urchins. So there, you know, they did those efforts to take them out with the divers, but mm. even in the areas where there was no dive removal effort, there's kelp coming back. I wonder, I wonder how, um, like the extent of our history on urchin barrens, like how, how, do, how far does our record go? Because who knows, who knows if it's just a natural, secession process or like you know so there is way that it happens i don't have like any of the data easily accessible but there is quite a good record of kelp forest coverage on the mainland of the united states because uh they actually used to use kelp as part of potash in munitions so like during the war efforts even like world war one and world war two they were harvesting kelp as an ingredient to make firearms or ammunition for firearms so they had a pretty good set of maps of where kelp was, was. to harvest that'd be interesting to compare so well and also like the kelp this you know like seaweed that you can buy like for the snack mm -hmm. Nori. Sure, i forget where yeah i forget where they're going but they're it's it's kind of destroying certain parts of the world them farming that stuff mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure i read something on it wasn't there a documentary on it Probably. I don't know, maybe. Um, I do know that kelp can be a really good renewable food source. Um, mm. But in the midst of all these things happening, it's like, how do you know 
what's responsible. Like I get an ad on my social media feeds every once in a while for this kelp project in Alaska that they like sell like the kelp as pickles, like pickle slices. And yeah. I was like, that's kind of cool. But one, the carbon it would take to get that kelp from Alaska to me is not worth it to me environmentally. And two, you know, I don't, I haven't done my own research about how the kelp is being aquacultured. I think it can be done very sustainably. Um, it grows so fast, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and dude, you can just kelp suspend can grow it. A, bull kelp can grow like two feet a day at some points. Yeah. And then you look at, um, you look at the, the way they farm kelp and it's its own suspended floating kelp forest. So it's good for the local environment as well. Cause they're not putting a bunch of stuff in the water to make the kelp grow. They're just providing a structure for it to grow on. Yeah. So interesting. Adam, you and I watched that documentary. I forget what it was about. Is it? Oh, it's the blue. Oh, it's the, uh, it's another, it's another um, section of ocean souls. It's the ocean souls production team. What did they do? Hold up. I'll find it. Yeah, well, I watched it with you, and I remember yeah, we talking did. something about them like going to another country and like taking all their kelp or something, and it was kind of. This ruining. is actually hilarious. That this is that that's what it is. Hold on. Yeah, I knew. I knew. The Blue Forest, the-, the Blue Forest in 4K. You can watch it right now if you just look up Ocean Souls films on YouTube. It's a whole 35-minute documentary. Um, yeah, it's called the Blue Forest, and it covers kelp forests around the world. Super okay. cool. Ooh. What are the odds? <laughs> so if you want to know more, but if you didn't get enough kelp from this episode, there you go. But one thing is for certain after all these things we just talked about on this episode, our ocean ecosystems are going to continue to decline in the midst of a warming ocean. Even after a severe blob. We are creating so many disruptions and changes in the marine environment on all levels that if we keep heating this thing up, it's not going to work right. We're going to be able to make spaghetti in the water. We're going to make miso soup, and it's not going to go well. I like spaghetti better. <laughs> Spaghetti's not as salty, though. Whatever. Dang, anyway. dude. So, yeah. So, you know, what can you do? Reduce your carbon impact, you know, whether that's what kind of food you buy how you're getting your products delivered to you or where you're buying them from, you know, can you switch to a more environmentally friendly mode of transportation? Can you, what can you do to reduce how hot our planet is getting? We should do a Can billionaires uh... stop going to space and burning up all of those emissions for no flipping reason? Yeah, let's just wait, spend that money on the ocean and fix our planet instead of going to look at other planets. Like, you want to tell me you want to find the best carbon capture? What? So you can keep sending more rockets to space and burning all the carbon you just captured? Why don't, don't we take it. the money from SpaceX and invest it into urchin divers that will take out all the urchins? Help forest aquaculture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <sighs> Well, I guess I'm more hopeful so than I, I was 15 I didn't ago. save the world in this podcast, but maybe the you next learned one. about kelp. <laughs> and there's, always, there's, already, there's always the next one. We're at, we're at 100, so. <laughs> yeah, we're oh, going to talk a little bit more about climate type news for the next couple episodes. So we can only go up from here or down. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> we're we're going to go somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know which direction, but. <laughs> uh,
So if you made it this far listening to us talk about hot water and kelp, thanks. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, can we do a secret whale of the week? Or should it be a secret other secret animal of the week? How about how about uh, how about a part of a kelp? Uh, say a secret kelp too, yeah. How about a, uh, how about the pneumaticist? That's the pneumaticist. Floating balls. That's okay. The floating balls Why don't we give them something they could actually spell? A hold fast. Hold fast. Okay, let's do a hold fast. It's the bottom of the kelp that attaches if you to the right kelp. I won't be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I have to think about what Instagram post we're gonna do. We have to do something. Yotter in, in kelp. Don't you have one no, of how those? How about my gray whale and the kelp or watermelons? Uh, maybe not. Mm. We do have whales and kelp options as well. <laughs> we do have whales and kelp. Or what about inverse a for kelping. blasting the kelp a off kelping. his head? Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. Oh, I have that photo somewhere. I'll find that right now. Yeah, even whales like to shoot it out their blowholes. <laughs> <sighs> Thanks, everyone, for listening, supporting the podcast, following us on social media. Welcome Thanks back. For- for following us on patreon one more thing what we want to send our thoughts out to those affected by the tsunami in tonga a lot of whale watch friends over there and we hope everybody's doing okay and And any anybody else and anybody else was affected yeah yeah, the mainland of the u.s looks like a lot of harbors got hit pretty hard so yeah, we did okay in hawaii i'm happy to say we did okay we we did okay here too the island, I mean, at least in Maui, like the island of Kahoolawe blocked most of it. Mm. So, man, it's like, it's, yeah, I don't even, we don't need to get into it, but it flooded yeah. Santa Cruz Harbor and like, yeah, I'm glad your boat was out of the water, Slater. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.